podcast is part of the Sports Social Podcast Network. Episode for you. Um, have Fetch join me again tonight to go ahead and recap all the basketball action. Um, we have a little bit of a, a programming announcement that I'll go ahead and give to you at the very end and uh, the, the wrap up there. But uh, but uh, we'll just go ahead and not waste any time. We'll get you right over to the interview with Fetch. And I'm joined now once again by Steve Fetch. Fetch, how you doing tonight? Hey, good. How you doing? I'm doing pretty good. So we have, we're, we're on a little bit of a crunch time frame here, just given. Uh, given what, what time we actually had to record. But so I'm going to go ahead and jump right in. Um, obviously, we're here to talk about the West Virginia loss, which was kind of inexplicable, and then the Iowa State game. Um, so first of all, which one do you think was a bigger indicator of how it's going to be for this team throughout the rest of the year? Well, I, I sure hope it's the Iowa State game. Um, it, you know, and I, and I think it probably will be. Um, I said this a couple of times just in the comments today, but I think KU's biggest uh, enemy for the rest of the Big 12 season, anyway, um, is themselves. You know, they they tend to get into this uh, habit of getting ahead by five, six, seven points, and then kind of letting uh, the opposing team come back on them. And, and they did it uh, last night against Iowa State as well. But um, it, it really does seem like most of their mistakes are, are kind of. Um, self-imposed uh and i think um iowa state's really the one team uh that can kind of force kansas to do some things that they don't want to do defensively whereas you know i think they match up um pretty well uh stylistically with the rest rest of the league so uh i do think that if you know they lose a game uh from here on out um not that they're gonna have to blow it or anything but i I do think they're gonna have to uh provide considerable help uh to the opposition so I, i do think that last night's game um, is a little bit more indicative of what we're going to see going forward. See, I would make the same argument as why the West Virginia game is more indicative because, first of all, you know it's going to be a dogfight for them on the road for every single game they have left the rest of the year. Um, and the West Virginia game, they had that game in hand, and then they just went completely ice cold for the last like two minutes of the game. Um, did not play with any kind of poise that we expect from a, a Bill Self team. Um, I think the only thing that you think you can argue against for that game is the fact that Bill Self just let them play at the end. Whereas I think if something like that were going to happen more, um, or again, Bill Self would kind of take the reins a little bit more um, and try to guide the team across the finish line instead of having them try to do it themselves. Um, and, and he actually admitted as much in, in the postgame conference, you know, was that he did he could have taken timeouts in two different spots, decided not to, decided to let them go ahead and play through to try to teach them a lesson. Um, and probably let it go a little bit too long. So, um, like, I think that's the only reason you can argue maybe that the West Virginia game isn't indicative of the rest of the season. But, but honestly, like, that's what it's going to be. You know, this this Kansas team is going to show at stretches, um, you know, that they are clearly the better team, but they're going to have enough lapses throughout the rest of the year that teams are going to be able to take advantage, especially when they're on the road. Sure, and I think, you know, one thing, too, um, is that I think that they're going to learn going forward that they need to, um, well, I hopefully that they, they're going to learn that they need to, you know, put the foot down, so to speak, and close these games out and, and realize that teams aren't going to 
roll over and die for them and, and aren't going to, you know, I, one thing that I, I was impressed with in the Baylor game was that uh, they took a huge lead right away and then they built up another huge lead again in the second half and kind of thought that they had uh, turned the corner uh, in that on that sort of stuff at that time. Um, because, you know, the, the thing that's different about Kansas uh, from any other team in this league, regardless of how good the other teams are, is, uh, you know, Kansas plays 18 Super Bowls. You know, every team wants to be Kansas home or away. Um, and obviously you want to win every game, but Kansas is the only team that, that gets that extra little something from opponents right. it's, that, it's, that it's other teams don't get. Team, it's the only team where, for the opponent, winning that one game could make an entire season. Right. And, and, and so, yeah, so there's a little bit more in each of those, especially at home. Um, right. You know, if you can if you can beat the Jayhawks coming into your place, then everybody there has a huge party. Um, you know, and so it's really nice to win that game. They're going to have a little bit more more oomph there for that particular right. game. But that being said, there is absolutely no reason they should have lost that West Virginia team. West Virginia no. is clearly the worst team in the conference. Baylor went out and, and just completely destroyed them on Saturday. Um, let down or not, you know, I mean, there's absolutely no excuse for actually, for, for actually losing that game. Um, and so, I mean, yeah, you know, they're, I, I, you're I, right. Go ahead. I found it interesting. Um, you know, I was looking at all the, the Ken Palm stats and despite the loss, Marcus Garrett was actually the MVP of that game. According to Ken Palm. Um, I, I do want to talk a little bit about him because it seems like we've seen a, a resurgence of Marcus Garrett. Um, you know, are you, I, I, really, there wasn't any kind of short coming to his game other than the fact that he wasn't really able to get his offense put together. Like, you know, he, he wasn't shooting very well from the three, and he really still isn't shooting very well from the three-point line. Um, but that driving game seems to have made all the difference now that he can he can actually score off the drive. Um, it's completely changed the, the entire game that he, that he plays. Um, how big of a deal is that for Kansas, and do you think it's sustainable for him? Yeah, I, I was just going to say, I think we should probably, before we talk about how big of a deal it is, maybe talk about whether that's going to be the case going forward. Because um, I think, you know, sports fans in general, and I, I certainly fall into this trap, um, get the sense that whatever happens most recently is what's going to keep continuing forever. So he's been great these last three games. Um, you know, he's actually shot the ball okay uh, as well for the perimeter, but especially getting the ball to the basket, drawing foul, scoring at the rim. Um yeah, if that continues, <laughs> I mean, you're looking at a, a first-team All-Big 12 type player when you factor in how good he is defensively. But um, is that going to continue? You know, there's a, a huge sample size to suggest that it won't. Um, but at the same time, you know, he, he's not a guy that you can just ignore anymore either. So um, even if it doesn't really continue to the extent that it is, I think it's going to have a positive impact on the offense just because people are going to have to pay more attention to him. Um, have to shade help over to him when he's driving. Uh, who knows, maybe, you know, put a, a better defender on him, which, you know, takes a better defender away from a, a Vic or a, a Grimes or even a Dotson. Um, and so, you know, I think all of that, regardless of how, um, regardless of how real it is, so to speak, uh, I think it's going to have a, a positive benefit to the offense. Yeah. I mean, and you know, the big thing that I've noticed is different. Um, it seems that he's be, he seems to be looking for offense a lot more than he was before. Previously, you know, like they would pass the ball to him and he would sit there and dribble around and he'd be left wide open and he wouldn't even necessarily be looking to shoot. Um, now, if they leave him wide open, he finds a lane and drives for it. Uh, you know, he's the, the long game isn't really his forte. 
but he has found somewhere in the offense that really makes sense for him, something that he's excelling at. And while it's probably not sustainable to this level, I do think that he's able to do enough and he will be able to be consistent enough with it that, you know, like you said, it, it will be a big boost to the rest of the offense because now they actually have to account for him. But I also just think that he's been a lot more aggressive and he's going to, you know, from, from, from everything I can tell, it seems like his mindset is a lot different than it was earlier in the year or even in previous years. And so I do, ex- or I guess just last year since he's a sophomore, um, you know, I do expect him to continue this. The question is, what's going to happen when he starts to hit another slump again, where, you know, guys are actually able to play good defense on it to stop him from being able to just drive in the lane and get whatever he wants. Um, you know, how does he react to that? And that's really what's going to be telling. Um, uh, I mean, everything that we've seen so far seems to indicate, um, especially as he's putting more and more on his own shoulders, that he's going to be able to to or he's at least going to give him the opportunity to continue to contribute because his defense is so invaluable. He's always going to be in the game for the most part. Um, you know, so I'm not really worried about him losing the opportunity to do it. The question is just going to be, how does he react to that adversity when it finally shows up? Yeah. You know, the, the one thing uh, about him that I've been impressed with as well over the course of this is, is he definitely hasn't taken any plays off defensively. I mean, he's still playing like the best uh, perimeter defender on the team and one of the best perimeter defenders in the big 12 and, and in the country, to be honest with you. But um, normally I would think that not just a, Hey, I'm good at offense. Now I don't need to care on, on defense, but just to, you know, if I'm using so many more possessions on offense, uh, you got to rest sometime. Um, and, and for whatever reason he hasn't needed to, I mean, he's, he's still playing really well uh, defensively and, um, you know, I, I think that that's more important than anything, but you're right. I mean, he is definitely going to slump again, both because everyone does and because he's, not exactly uh, lit the nets on fire over the course of his first year and a half um, up until this last week. Um, once that happens, you know, I, I don't really have a ton of worries about it just because he's, uh, you know, done really well in a complimentary role uh, so far. And so I think that he's going to be able to, you know, um, go back into that role. And, and you know, he's a, he's a pretty good passer uh, as well. Sometimes his post entries are not great, but um, he's definitely a willing passer, and, and I think that he's uh, going to be more than happy to to go back to that uh, if and when the slump happens. Yeah, I mean, he, he kind of reminds me of a couple different players. Um, I th- the one that everybody is kind of making an obvious connection to because they, they wore the same number, um, you know, is he reminds me he, – he does remind me a little bit of Frank Mason. Um, more defensively inclined Frank Mason as opposed to the offensive slasher that we saw all the time. He's starting to pick up some of the same type of moves that Mason did, being a smaller – a smaller point guard or, or smaller guard. Um, but, but really, I mean, not even so much his offense, but the fact that his defense and he's able to stick out there and he comes up with the really big play on defense all the time. Whereas Mason could usually be counted on for a good offensive play, but then he's stepping up in really big moments and making that offensive play that, that, that Mason would do on the flip side. Um, the other guy he kind of reminds me of a little bit is LeGerald Vick early in his career. Vick was, was kind of the, the master at, you know, stepping up for short stretches when he needed to, but it didn't really phase him at all when someone, you know, when he wasn't able to continue to be that guy and had to take a step back um, and, and become that complimentary player again. So, yeah, I'm, I'm trying to think now that you mentioned as far as who he reminds me of, um, I can't really think of anyone to be honest with you. You know, a lot of um, people have kind of compared him to, to Travis Relaford, uh, but Relaford was a much better uh, jump shooter than Garrett is. Uh, and I think Garrett is maybe not as good of a, a pure on ball defender, but definitely more versatile uh, than Relaford was. 
Um, <laughs> you know, the other guy that I uh, kind of was thinking of was Andrew Wiggins, just because, uh, you know, both of them uh, weren't very good three-point shooters, um, although Wiggins certainly better <clears throat> than Garrett. Um, you know, Garrett and Wiggins both really good defensively, uh, but obviously, you know, Wiggins is a, a different class of athlete than uh, Garrett is and, and also, uh, you know, a little bit more of a focal point in the offense. So, you know, I, I'd probably have to really sit down and think about that one. No one's really uh, jumping to mind for me anyway. All right. So I, I think that about covers it. Um, actually, the only other thing in terms of the West Virginia game was just the fact that um, Ochai Abaji only played four minutes. Um, you know, he came in. Had three turnovers really, really quickly. He had a few rebounds, but it, it was pretty obvious, I think, right away that, that he was a little out of his element here. Um, I, I don't know that that's necessarily saying too much other than the fact that, you know, he hasn't really been in the rotation for more than just a few games. And, you know, no matter no matter how bad that West Virginia team is, they do turn on the defense pretty well at home. Um, so I don't know that – I mean, are, are you worried at all about the fact that he only played four minutes in this game, or was it just kind of one of those games that you, you know, see from a freshman who hasn't played very much yet? Yeah, you know, I'm I'm actually kind of surprised that Self didn't just like let him work through it, but um and I kind of wish he would have. Um I'm not saying that Kansas would have won for sure, but uh, I definitely think that their best lineup now, God, I can I mean I can't believe I'm saying this after what we talked about when he first uh got his retro pull, but I think his best lineup, uh KU's best lineup has Abaji in it. So, uh I do wish that they would have let him, you know, work through it and stuff, but yeah, I, I can't really blame him for pulling the guy who had three turnovers in about three minutes. So um, just one of those things that I, I think that uh, they'll get fixed. Um, and, you know, like I said, he I think he needs to be on the floor uh, going forward. Yeah, I, I can definitely agree with that. I mean, I think, I think, though, the fact that he was, you know, back out there for lots of minutes, well, a, a decent number of minutes in the next game, you know, kind of hints to the fact that it, it was more of a matchup-driven type of thing. I mean, so 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 jumping over to the Iowa State game, obviously it was a big win for them, um, being able to to go ahead and uh, and get back to first place in the Big Twelve. Um, you know, Deidre Lawson obviously had a huge game, twenty nine points and fifteen rebounds. Um, Marcus Garrett had another good game, sixteen points. Um, let's see, he had five rebounds, three steals. I mean, so he he had an overall good game again. Didn't have a single three point attempt, which to be honest, I don't think is a bad thing. Um, but, you know, I think what stuck out to me in this game was we had four players that played 37 or more minutes, um, Vic, Dotson, Lawson, and Garrett. Um, and then Quentin Grimes and Ochai Abaji um, split, basically split the rest of the time that we had there. KJ Lawson played a little bit here and there. Um, there were a few minutes where Lawson, where, where both Lawsons uh, were in at the same time. And, and actually, I think that's a, a lineup that they probably should use a little bit more often. Um, but... You know, are you are you kind of? I, I personally was surprised that Grimes played as many minutes as he did. I realized that he's kind of the freshman phenom that they were expecting to really get going, and that maybe they want to try to get him going. But it seemed pretty clear to me that Abaji was having a much better game. Um, you know, and this game might have been a little bit more comfortable. And actually, in, in the second half when they made that big run, Abaji was in there for a big portion of it to be able to come back and then push the lead out. So. Um, I mean, were you surprised that Grimes either played as much as he did or played as poorly as he did? Well, yeah, I, I think, you know, I guess just on Grimes, um, I think that uh, Self's kind of playing the long game. Um, I, I think that he's recognized that, hey, if Kansas is going to win the national championship this year or even make um, even make a run at like a Final Four or something, 
they need Quentin Grimes to to play well. I mean, I don't think that they can play seven guys, especially when you don't have you know your your Frank Masons, your Devontae Grahams, you know, absolute superstars like that. Other than Dieter Lawson, I mean, it's really Dieter Lawson, and then you know a bunch of complementary pieces on offense. And I don't think that you can get to the final four with with seven guys like that. So uh, I think he's you know trying to to get whatever do whatever he can do to get Grimes going. So. Uh, I'm not surprised that he got all that time. I, I did notice, and I, I guess I don't have it in front of me, but um, there was a spot at, at the end of the game there where he, he checked in, and uh, I think Iowa State immediately hit a three, and it was his guy, and then he checked right out, and that that was the end of him. So, um, you know, I, I guess I'm not surprised that, you know, down the stretch they went with KJ and, and they went with um, – um, Help me out here, uh, Abaji, uh, until he fouled out, um, which uh, none of those were fouls, but I guess that's another podcast. Um, so I, I'm not I'm not surprised that he's going to those lineups uh, when it's winning time, but I, I guess I'm also not surprised that he's starting. So yeah, true. I mean, it's it's a little weird, I think, just in terms of the way that they have to go ahead and do this. But um, you know, they still are really only playing six guys. Um, with KG Lawson, you know, averaging about eight to nine minutes a game. Uh, so it, it not definitely not what we expected with how deep this team was supposed to be this year. Um, I mean, it seems to be working enough, but it's definitely doesn't seem to be sustainable. Um, but I mean, was, was there anything else that kind of stuck out with you with that, with that Iowa State game? I think, you know, we could, we could talk for days about, you know, refing and all that fun stuff and, um, you know, I got into a Twitter argument with some Iowa State guys about, um, you know, they were making comments about, oh man, it's so rich how, uh, how, how Bill Self is complaining about officiating, um, which of course that in and of itself is rich coming from an Iowa State fan. But, um, yeah, I mean, what was other than those sorts of discussions, was there anything else from that Iowa State game that really stuck out to you? Well, I, I think that you mentioned it with KJ. I mean, I think he's probably earned himself a little bit more playing time. Um, I think he works really well with Diedrich. I mean, obviously. Uh, and I think that that's something that you need. I think he's really good at, at entering the ball into the post with him. I think he's pretty good defensively when he's not fouling too much. Uh, and then I think, you know, his ability to get into the lane is really impressive. Uh, it's just a matter of, is he going to take a nice uh, controlled shot when he gets in the lane or one of those uh, crazy runners that he flips up and uh, just doesn't, you know, really have much of a prayer of going in, although uh, he's been a lot more efficient than I, I thought he had been uh, this year. Uh, I guess the next step for him is getting the three-point shot going. Um, I think he's still under 30% this year um, after being 33% at Memphis. And even even just being 33% would be such a, a huge boost for him and the team. So um, I think he's probably earned himself uh, a little bit more playing time. Um, and then, you know, the other thing, I guess, is uh, Dotson. I mean, he had a really nice game uh, as well. I mentioned it. Uh, both in the recap and on Twitter, it was the second um, 10 plus point, 8 plus assist, uh, zero turnover game uh, since 2010, 2011, uh, and the other one was Devonte Graham against I think Siena, some some you know some bye game, so you know not uh, not against the second best team in the Big 12. So he uh, impressive bounce back after having a, a pretty terrible game against West Virginia, and, and he definitely looks like a guy who. Um, might not be around for next year, but if he is, you know, he, he definitely looks like a, a star in the making. Yeah. I mean, I think honestly, he's, he's that guy where it's, 
it's not surprising anymore when he has a really good game. It's more surprising when he has a bad one, like he did against West Virginia. Right, um, definitely. But I also don't think he's making enough of a name for himself just because of the style that he plays. He's not a guy that goes out there and scores, which doesn't get the national attention. Uh, I get the feeling, um, you know, you add in the fact that he's only 6'2". Um, you know, I, I don't think anyone's going to be clamoring to take him in the NBA um, coming out here unless he just completely goes off in the tournament. Which would be a good thing, you know, short term wise for Kansas. But yeah, um, like I mean, if, if if that's what it takes, like if we win a national title because Devon Dotson absolutely goes insane and then gets drafted off of it, I would take it. But I think it would take something like that for him to actually go next year or go at the end of this year. So I mean, I, I'm I'm pretty sure that he's probably going to be back. Um, but I wouldn't necessarily blame him if he was able to find a good situation to go. Um, but regardless, yeah, I mean. I think it's more of a story when he has a bad game now, which coming into the year, I wouldn't have thought he would be probably the most consistent player that we have on the team at this point. Um, Even over a guy like Dietrich Lawson, who consistently is a really, you know, really, really good player, but even he's had more off nights, I think, than, than Devon Dotson has. So, all right. Um, Well, with that, we'll go ahead and, uh, and wrap up those games real quick before I look at the schedule ahead. Um, You know, actually, as we were recording, K-State finished off Texas Tech um, in a really, really low-scoring game. So so where we're standing right now is that Kansas and Kansas State are tied at 5-2 and two at the top of the Big 12 Conference um, with Texas Tech and then Iowa State right behind. Um, you know, I mean, are we ex- are, are you expecting the Big 12 to be this much of a dogfight for the rest of the year? Um, you know, we've got basically four teams that I think all have a good, a decent shot at, at winning the conference um, if things break right for them. I know that Ken Palm right now has Kansas and Texas Tech both projected at 12 and 6, with Iowa State projected at 11 and 7, and then uh, K State at, at 10 and 8. Um, but you know, given the fact that K State just won that game against Texas Tech, uh, I don't think that, that, that these standings or these projections are updated yet for that. Um, I mean, how how? Uh, I mean, are, are you are you thinking it's going to be a four team race pretty much the rest of the year, or do you think that one, that a couple of these teams are going to establish themselves pretty quickly here? You know, it, it is, um, as long as Dean Wade stays healthy, I, I think it will be. Um, you know, obviously all teams kind of have their concerns. I mean, Kansas with no outside shooting. Um, you know, I think Iowa State's probably the team that has the least amount of concerns. Um, I can agree with that, with yeah. Uh, you know, with Kansas, it's the outside shooting. Um, you know, with Iowa State, <laughs> I mean, I don't, I don't really know what they're big concern is I mean I guess their offense hasn't been you know as good as it usually is um and I think that their you know their defense um I mean has been really good can they can they keep forcing turnovers like they have been maybe not um you know can they keep not sending guys to the free throw line and and yet you know and yet not let them score um maybe not but I think those are pretty trivial concerns when you look at you know K-State has the health of their best player Kansas has their outside shooting and, and Texas Tech has their complete inability to score. So um, those are all uh, a, a lot bigger problems, um, I think, than anything that Iowa State has. But uh, so anyway, um, I, I do think it's going to be a dogfight. I mean, I, I think, you know, if, if you're handicapping it right now, uh, I think Iowa State and Kansas are probably neck and neck. You know, Iowa State obviously only has Texas Tech at home as far as their kind of tough games uh, left. I mean, they have to go to K-State uh, as well. Um, but, you know, they're done with Kansas. 
Yeah, um, but given given what K State did to Texas Tech tonight, I mean, I think I think I'm willing to call that one a tough game for them. Oh I, yeah, I've been, I've been I mean, looking absolutely. at the schedules though. Um, you know, it looks like Iowa State, especially in like the next four. Um, so the the next four conference games that Iowa State has is West is home against West Virginia, home against Texas, at Oklahoma, home against TCU. I have a hard time imagining that they're going to lose any of those games, except maybe, maybe at Oklahoma. But even then, I think that's a coin flip game. Um, whereas, let's see, next four for for K State is uh, you know away at at Oklahoma State, and they host Kansas at Baylor at Texas. I could see them losing three out of four of that potentially. Um, but you know, assuming assuming that they get that win against Kansas, like I could also see them winning all four of those games. Um, Texas Tech. Next four that they have is um, at TCU. I'm sorry, home home against TCU at Kansas, home against West Virginia at Oklahoma. Uh, again, kind of I think probably a 50-50 split there. So really, Iowa State looks like they could potentially build a, a small, maybe even a one or two game lead, depending on on how Kansas does. Um, you know, obviously Kansas has. Uh, let's see, they, they're at Texas, home against Texas Tech at K State home against Oklahoma State. The only one of those games I think that's a given is the home game against Oklahoma State, which given the history against Oklahoma State isn't really a given anyway. Um, for some, for whatever reason, they seem to to play really well against KU all the time. So, um, you know, K-State could potentially find themselves back a couple games even from Iowa State um, and then having to, to really make up ground at the end. But this is such a murder's row for anybody in the Big 12. And the Big 12 has already shown it's completely unpredictable this year. So, um, you know, I could see any of those teams jumping out to a big lead in the conference. I could see any of those teams falling off completely. Um, I think what's more likely is that we're going to have a bunch of unexplained losses for everybody. And the end of the year, we're going to have, you know, like I, I could easily see the winner of the league having six or seven losses this year. That's just how weird the Big 12 is. Yeah, you know, you, you hit the nail on the head when you said that, you know, you could see a bunch of weird things happening. And that's, you know, it's probably not even worth handicapping the schedule because you saw Kansas lose at West Virginia. You saw Iowa state lose at Baylor, you know, anyone can lose it anywhere, especially on the road. So it's almost just sit back and, and enjoy the show. Cause they're, you're right. It is going to be, um, it is going to be a, a weird month of February, I think. And, uh, I'm just glad I, uh, disavowed caring about the streak because I, I can't imagine sitting there and, and, you know, really living and dying with all these games over the next month and a half. Right. I mean, I care about the streak, but not enough that I'm going to get super worked up about it now that we have the, the, you know, streak all to ourselves. So, all right, let's, let's go ahead and look ahead real quick, um, to the, the big game, obviously coming up this weekend as part of the Big 12 SEC challenge. Um, you know, we have Kansas at Kentucky. Uh, so, so I guess first of all, just looking at the at the Ken Palm profiles, you know, uh, they're they're pretty even overall. Kansas offense is ranked 29th, Kentucky is 21st, whereas Kansas defense is ranked 10th and Kentucky is ranked 11th. So they're kind of neck and neck there. I believe that the the line actually had just because they're at home. I think Ken Ken Palm has Kentucky as like a, a 62% favorite or something like that. Uh, but it's expected to be a pretty close game. Um, so looking at this, and, and I realize you probably haven't done your full preview yet at this point, this this early in the week. Um, but what is it that jumps out to you most about Kentucky? Well, the, the first thing that jumped out at me was that they barely take any threes uh, and they don't really shoot them very well, which is a, a double uh, bright spot for Kansas. Um, obviously, they have... Had troubles keeping teams off the three-point line this year, and, and they've had troubles um, in terms of teams just making a ton of threes, regardless of 
whether or not they're good at shooting them. So um, hopefully this will be a, a little bit of a break from that, and hopefully they'll be able to keep it to a, a two-point contest, which I think will will definitely uh, definitely favor Kansas going forward. Um, that's that's really you know statistically the first thing that jumped out at me. Um, Personnel-wise, obviously, I mean Kentucky has you know five-star athletes all over the place, and uh, definitely going to be a, a tough team, but. Um, I'm looking at, you know, I, I think Kansas is, is a, a slightly better team. Um, and I think just the, you know, matchup wise, I think that they're, um, a really good matchup for Kentucky. Uh, but you know, I, I do think probably it's going to be a matter of, you know, home court advantage, probably meaning a lot. And so, uh, I definitely wouldn't be surprised to see Kansas lose, but I also, you know, uh, unlike the West Virginia game, um, or even the Iowa State game to some extent, I don't think that there should be a, a big freak out if they lose this one. Oh yeah, definitely not. Um, the, the thing that jumped out to me actually, I think was the, just how good Kentucky is at, at getting offensive rebounds. Um, they're, they're number seven in offensive rebound percentage at, at 38%. Um, and then to go along with that, how good they are about getting to the line. Um, you know, they, they average 22.8 free throws, uh, free throws per game. I'm trying to, t- I don't see it here. Oh, I'm sorry. That's the point distribution. They get 22.8% of their points from the free throw line. Um, I thought I had seen here. Oh, there we go. Free throw attempts per field goal attempt. So they have that's that that ratio there is 42.4, which is 20th. So not only do they get a lot of offensive rebounds, but they go to the line a lot, um, which is a big issue for Kansas. Kansas doesn't typically send people to the line too much, but we've seen – you know, they're really bad about giving up offensive rebounds for the most part. Um, so that's probably the biggest worry is that even though Kentucky doesn't really shoot very well from outside, if they continue to get tons of offensive rebounds and either, you know, cause fouls or get a bunch of scoring inside just because of that, um, it could get out of hand pretty quick for Kansas. Um, on the flip side, though, I mean, Kentucky is not very good in terms of uh, um, three-point defense there. Um, and in general, like the only thing that they really do well is blocking, um, which Kansas doesn't really have a problem with getting blocked too much. So, uh, I do think that that kind of, kind of helps Kansas a little bit. Um, if they're able to get any kind of, um, shot going from three per- from, from the three point line, then I think that they'll be okay. Um, it'll at least be a competitive game, but there is obviously the, the, you know, possibility that Kansas could be completely cold from the three point line. Kentucky gets as many offensive rebounds as they really want. Um, and Kansas gets out of this one really early. And so we'll get to see a lot of the scrubs at that, you know, a lot of the bench players at that point. Um, but it probably wouldn't be a very good game to watch at that point, unless you really want to watch any of the, the, the bench players play. So, all right, well, we'll, we'll go ahead and leave it there. Um, don't want to make this too long. And honestly, um, you know, there's not really a whole lot to talk about um, with this big 12 sec challenge. Um, I do though, want to get your quick prediction who do you think is going to win the event, uh, and what do you think that the game spread is going to be? Let's see. Well, you know, I, I actually do think um, it's going to be the Big Twelve, um, just because. Well, hang on. <laughs> let's let's run let's run through the uh, yeah. Let's run, no, I was going through, through this. Matchups. I was going through this actually up at work. Uh, we have a bunch of people that are from a bunch of different places, um, so it was actually. Uh, it was actually interesting to go through all the games and the general consensus we came to up there was that the big 12 has probably had about five of those games for sure that they were going to win with another three that were toss ups and then two that heavily favored the sec. That was the okay. general consensus I, we came to. But, I, I got them up. I got them up here. So, yes. um, 
I am going to say, okay, so KU, Kentucky, uh, I'm going to pick Kentucky. West Virginia, Tennessee, I'm going to pick Tennessee. Yep. TCU, Florida, I'm going to pick Florida. That's one that I was I was leaning towards. Or no, I'm sorry. Yeah, that, that was the one that I favored Florida in. Um, okay. Let's see. Yeah. The Oklahoma, South Carolina, or sorry, the Oklahoma State, South Carolina, I thought was more of a coin flip. Um, the Vanderbilt at Oklahoma, I think, favors Oklahoma, but could be kind of close to a coin flip. And I think Iowa State at Ole Miss is probably a coin flip. Um, the rest of them, though, Baylor seems to be a much better team than Alabama. Um, you know, K-State, especially with the way their defense is playing, should beat A&M, even though it's at A&M. Um, Oklahoma State, as bad as they are in terms of, of a Big 12 team, South Carolina is even worse uh, in terms of the SEC. So I think that one favors Oklahoma State pretty heavily. Texas is a much better team than Georgia. Um, that might be close just because it's at Georgia. And then uh, Texas Tech playing against Arkansas. Arkansas's offense is really pretty bad. Texas defense, Texas Tech's defense is really good. So I'm expecting Texas Tech to win a very defensive game there. Um, so in general, I see I'd see personally five that go towards the Big 12, um, two that are definitely, you know, definitely lean towards the SEC. And I am including the, the the Kansas-Kentucky matchup in that. And then three that are kind of coin flips. So I think at worst, it's going to be a split 5-5. Five, five. Um, but potentially the Big 12 could win this 1-8-2. I'm going to I'm gonna go ahead and lock in with a prediction that they that they um, win this 6-4. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to say 5-5. Five, five. I'm going to say the, the Big 12 wins are K-State, Texas, Oklahoma, Iowa State, Texas Tech. Let's see. You said K State, Texas, Oklahoma, Iowa State, and Texas Tech. Yes. Yeah. So I'm gonna so let's say I'm gonna say six four. So I'm gonna say that the wins are gonna be Texas Tech, um, Texas. I think. Uh, let's see. Oklahoma, Kansas State, uh, Iowa State, and Baylor. So. So I'll say that they'll win all of those. So so I, I would say that Oklahoma State's probably uh, that would lose. Um, just because that's going to be the one that's like, you know, I wouldn't expect it, but it's going to happen anyway. Um, obviously, West Virginia, I think, is going to lose. I think Kansas does lose to Kentucky. Um, although I may ch- I may change my prediction by the time the, the predictions come out over on Rock Chalk Talk. We'll see. Um, <laughs> and then uh, I forget which other ones at least. But I'll, I'll run the tape back later, and, and we'll get that figured out. But anyway, all right. Um, so we have time real quick just for a random sports minute if you have one for us. And and really, I, I'm really curious. Did anybody um, did anybody actually give you any suggestions? I didn't see any, but uh, no, uh, no, I haven't seen any. And so uh, as as punishment, there will be no uh, random sports minute this week. All right. Well, then in, instead of a random sports minute, let's just talk real quick about the the, the news that Les Miles did hire an offensive coordinator. Um, it actually just came out just about an hour or so before we were getting ready to record. Um, and I just lost the guy's name. It's, it's also a less, another less. Um, most recently he was the running backs coach at, uh, at, uh, I believe it was at SMU. Um, he was last an offensive coordinator for a power five conference about five years ago. Oh, got it right here. Uh, let's see. Oh, no, sorry. That's about the support staff, uh, Brent Dearman that he hired as well. So I've got a couple different things up here that I'm trying to to juggle here. But, uh, but yeah, so he hired another guy named Les to go ahead and run his offense for him. It's a guy that hasn't been a, a offensive coordinator, a power five conference for a while. Um, but you know, he seems to be kind of an established guy that has again, worked on previous staffs. Um, 
you know, in, in the power five, he hasn't been completely out of football. He was with UAB um, up until their program got cut. Uh, and then, you know, he's been a running backs coach for the last couple of years. So um, are you, are you disappointed with the move or was it kind of the best that you could expect given how quickly they had to replace someone? Well, I, you know, I'll go really quick cause I don't know anything about him. So I, I couldn't, <laughs> I couldn't tell you. Well, so, so given the fact that he doesn't, you know, have any kind of pedigree that you would recognize at all. I mean, do you think this is probably the best that they could expect at this point? Um, and I mean, I think you threw something out there and I've seen other people say something similar, um, you know, that, it, that it seems like maybe this is a, or, and, and, and maybe this wasn't you, but, um, you know, this might be a move of bring in a guy that could be a stopgap, And if he works out great, if not, then we've already hired a bunch of coaches that could potentially take it over next year if needed. Yeah. I th- you know, I think that that's probably correct. I think that's, I think this next year is probably a throwaway from that standpoint and then probably a more permanent guy. Uh, starting next year yeah which unfortunately we've seen a lot of that recently um at least this time though we we trust the head coach making that decision as opposed to you know what we had before where it was kind of just a revolving door of offensive coordinators right all right we'll we'll go ahead and leave it there thanks thanks again for joining me fetch all right thanks all right we'll talk to you later and that'll do it for tonight's episode. Big thanks to Fetch for joining me again. Um, so first of all, just a quick recap of all the action that's happened since our last podcast. Um, the the KUK State Wichita State Triangular for track and field happened. KU won that um, 235 points uh, is what they had. Kansas State came in second with 220 points, and Wichita State had 215. So a a pretty um, big victory there for for Kansas in that track and field triangular. Uh, then we had let's see on Saturday, obviously. Um, you know, we had the, the game at West Virginia. Um, actually, the, the women's team also lost. They uh, played at uh, versus Oklahoma State at home, lost that game 62-72. Um, and then, you know, there was a bunch of results for the, the National Pole Vault Summit. I didn't really get into those too much. But uh, the tennis team won on Sunday. Uh, they won 5-2 to two against Northwestern. And obviously, you know, the men's basketball team won against Iowa State. Um, and this... This was recorded and will probably be dropping prior to the women's basketball game um, at Texas at 7 o'clock on Wednesday night. Uh, I'm not exactly sure if this is dropping Wednesday night or if it's going to drop Thursday morning. But um, whichever one it does, we will, you know, we'll, we'll get that updated for you on the next podcast that we do have. Uh, but with that, you know, if, if you do want to reach us, you can contact us on Twitter at RockChalkPod. Uh, the email address right now is rockchalkpodcast at gmail.com. Uh, again, we're always taking your, your suggestions for topics or questions or anything like that. Um, you know, please do, if you haven't found us already, find us on iTunes, rate, subscribe, uh, you know, nice, nice comments, five stars, all that fun stuff. It really does help to get the name of the podcast out there so we can go ahead and reach more people. Um, but again, thank you guys so much for listening, and we will catch you next time on the Rock Chalk Podcast. Podcast Network.